Titanic Talk with Nelson Aspen and Alexandra Boyd. Here we feature stories from the independent documentary Ship of Dreams Titanic Movie Diaries and everything else to do with the iconic ship. From James Cameron's epic groundbreaking movie to the history and legacy of Titanic herself. Join us and our special guests as we continue the 25th anniversary celebrations of Titanic. This is your first class ticket to everything aboard the ship of dreams. Hi, I'm Nelson Aspen and I am beyond excited that this is the very first episode of our new podcast, Titanic Talk. I mean, that is your first class ticket to all things aboard the Ship of Dreams. And of course, the Ship of Dreams is none other than the Titanic. And my co-host is my darling friend of many, many years, Alexandra Boyd, who has the distinction of not only appearing in James Cameron's Titanic film, but being the director, writer, producer, and for lack of a better word, host of a brilliant new documentary, Ship of Dreams, Titanic Movie Diaries. So what better way to kick off our, all of our discussions about everything White Star Line than, than with Alexandra and I talking about her brilliant new documentary. We are gonna christen our maiden voyage of Titanic talk with a good champagne and, uh, or Prosecco. You can have your choice of good champagne or Prosecco. And, uh, Let's uh, say all aboard. And as, just as we saw Alexandra as the first class passenger boarding the ship, it still smelled of fresh paint with her dogs. Ladies and gentlemen, Alexandra Boyd. Hello, Nelson. Oh, lovely. What a great, what a great idea we had to just get together and talk about Titanic here on the year of the 25th anniversary of the launch of James Cameron's Titanic. So many anniversaries, when you think about it, there, uh, you could fill 365 days a year with some, some kind of titanic milestone. And there's, there's such an unquenchable thirst for anything related to the actual historical uh, happenstance or tragedy uh, or the film or subsequent spinoffs. And now we're adding the, the documentary to the, to the sort of chandelier uh, of all things Titanic. Tell our audience. The oeuvre. Tell our audience. Let's throw in a few uh, French words as well. With a good use of franglais, tell our audience uh, how you, you came about putting the documentary itself together. There was a number of sort of factors that came into play uh, about 18 months ago, which was here comes the 25th anniversary of of James Cameron's Titanic. Roll back 25 years and after the film uh, won 11 Oscars and broke all the box office records, there was a group of us who'd been for a long time on the film who well, I organized everybody to write a diary. Some people had written a diary, a very small amount, but then the rest of us sort of sat down and wrote about our auditions, wrote about first day on set, wrote about being in that tank for days on end, being on the poop deck. And the idea was to get a book published, but that was, you know, 1998, there was no internet, there was no self-publishing. You had to go through a publisher and, you know, with many things, it just had sort of, that ship had sailed. So, so that was that. And I held on to all the PDFs of everybody's diary. And let me tell you, there were 29 of them. 
including my own. And I thought there's got to be, here it comes, there's still, still people are so in love with the film. And, and then by, by association, of course, the history and the tragedy. And because of social media, I have connected with some wonderful fans, super fans, titaniacs, as they call themselves, who not just know every single frame of the film, but have turned their lives into uh, and their passion into something else that you'll see in the film. You'll see in the documentary, Dale making his Barbie-sized, miniature, exquisite, museum-quality reproductions of Kate Winslet's costumes, as an example, or, or Zach, who spends all of his spare money on the props and costumes from the film itself. So there seemed to be like this, this double set of stories that had to be dovetailed together into a love letter for the film. And that's what we've got. There is a magic, thanks to social media, which, as you said, wasn't around when James Cameron's film was being made, uh, that, that brings people together. You used to have to go to like a Comic-Con to meet like-minded uh, people, you know, for your pop culture fix. But now with social media, all the Titaniacs are, are, are brought together. And it, it's been a treat for me uh, as a Titaniac myself to, to get to interact with these folks. And I've met a few and look forward to meeting more. Uh, and now things like the podcast will, will, will open that even wider. But uh, our, our friendship, which goes back almost 40 years, uh, a lot of it has to do with my being a Titaniac back then. Before you got the part on the film, uh, we, we, would, we don't want to spoil too much because that's, that's part of the documentary as well. But it was my love for the Titanic story when you came to audition for Titanic film, uh, our friendship was uh, very serendipitous uh, for, for all of us sitting here today. Uh, briefly, tell us, tell the audience about that. Well, that, well, you've, you've sort of teed it up perfectly. That's why I had to put you in the film as well, because, you're, you know, we're all connected by the ship, by the film. And I remember casually mentioning at a party in your garden, oh yes, I've got this, I've got this audition um, and I'm playing, you know, it's to play a part that doesn't really have any lines, but they've suggested I look up, you know, the Countess of Roths. And you're like, the Countess of Roths who steered the lifeboat of number eight. And I was like, what, you know, I did sort of that like whiplash double take, what? And um, because you had a shelf full of, uh, you know, videos and books and your lump of coal exhumed from the wreck. I could tell I <laughs> we had to sit down and work together on what I, I needed to put together for a monologue. And um, yeah, and, and it just, just going back to why the film exists, it seems like you you mention Titanic to almost anybody and they have they have an idea or a thought or, or an opinion about it. And I still haven't quite put my finger on it. I think the question is still out there, but by the, by the time you get to the end of the documentary, there's still the question is still there, why? But at the same time, it doesn't matter because, because it's such a, a fantastic subject, such a fantastic thing to be passionate about. There have been uh, countless horrible tragedies over the centuries, but, I, I don't know what it is about the Titanic disaster that seems to resonate 
universally. Um, I think the first Titanic film was was a silent German film, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it was it was from the point of view of the poor Germans on board the Titanic, but but it was a silent film uh, recreating the the story of the Titanic tragedy. So I mean, it has been exploited for dramatic effect almost since 1912. And, um, and I would like to say, A Night to Remember, um, which I haven't seen watched all the way through for a long time, was an extraordinary film for the time that it was made. The the the, the the, the horror and the terror really comes across. And, you know, I'm sure there were uses of models and they were on some, you know, in some tank somewhere, but it's still, it stands up to this day as a, as yes. a film that really draw. And I remember being it on, it being on television when I was a little girl and you just being totally feeling the peril of these people as, as their lives were slipping away from them. And Night to Remember is a great example of, unlike James Cameron's Titanic, unlike the Clifton Webb, Barbara Stanwyck version of Titanic, Night to Remember has all the drama without fictionalizing. It's it's yes. very true to, um, is it Walter Lord? Walter Lord's book. Uh, and it was kind of just just the facts as they were reported to Walter Lord by the survivors. So it, it didn't have a Jack and a Rose. It didn't have a soap opera story. It was just it was just a recounting of the disaster as it was relayed to the author and then translated to the screen. That said, when you look at dramatic interpretations like the Barbara Stanwyck version, the Catherine Zeta-Jones TV version, or James Cameron's version, uh, it's the perfect uh, backdrop for uh, a Romeo and Juliet story or whatever other soap operatic devices you want to employ. And to that, you know, I when I first read the script of Titanic, I was like, what is going on here? Why? Because I had, you know, immersed myself in all these true stories. And I, as you know, as we know, I didn't play the Countess of Ross, but James Cameron said, oh, get her something else. No, I need people like like that to, you know, pepper this ship with. And um, and I had really immersed myself and there were so many brilliant stories. And I was like, wait a minute, what's this? And it, it sort of took me aback and could not have been more wrong about the outcome since the people who saw the film when they were very young were drawn in by that Romeo and Juliet story. And that led to them finding out more about the ship and more about the real people. So it was this, whether it was intentional or not, it was a fantastic, dramatic choice to do that against all of the pure, you know, the purists who would say, just, you know, just tell the real stories. And, and you know, it's all going on around those two young people. And, and it's, it's brilliant. It's genius. I wonder what it is. I mean, as a kid, I would play Titanic in the swimming pool. Uh, I remember reading Clive Cussler's book, Raise the Titanic, which was a, a fanciful uh, fiction book about what if they were actually able to locate and, and raise the Titanic from the depths. They made a they made a film a version of that as well. But it, it created a lifetime um, fascination for me with all things maritime. 
going on cruises, uh, watching movies like The Poseidon Adventure that had something to do with tragedy at sea. And for all the cruising that I do, uh, unfortunately, I've, I've never been in a, in a disaster at sea, but I'm not afraid of it. Uh, I, I think I'd know what I think I'd know how to handle it. And I think that the next logical step for us to do is to take your film, Ship of Dreams, Titanic Movie Diaries, assemble the cast and hit the cruise circuit. Oh, because yes. I've worked a few cruise ships as as a singer and as an MC, and I think uh, I think this would be a natural progression. And some of the guests that we'll have on upcoming episodes of the podcast from your uh, gathered Titanic family oh, and, yes. and some new family members that we've yet to meet as well, I'm sure. Um, who who are some of the guests you'd like to see chat with us sometime? Oh well, first and foremost, as you said, some of the the cast members. So let let's sort of go through those. Then we've got Liam Tui, who famously played the baker, who's on the back of the ship on the poop deck as it's going down, <laughs> slugging <laughs> on his father's his father's hip flask. Um, Liam, uh, you know, a fine Irishman. Um, we've got Mark Capri, who plays uh, steward number four, who gets punched by Rose in the corridor. He's trying to lead her up and she's trying to go back down to save Jack. There's uh, Rebecca Klingler, who um, who plays the mother. She's, her title was Mother at Stern and we just used to call her Rebecca Mother at Stern. Everybody was <laughs> uh, you know, identified by their, by their, their title. Um, Does she have children in real life? Does Rebecca no, have children? No. Oh, she would be a very stern mother. So it's probably for the best. <laughs> Well, she tells a great story about the little boy that played her little boy in the film. Um, and uh, who else? We have uh, Judy and Ellen, who, to put us all to shame, were there longer than any of us. They were sort of, they were there and they were core extras. They lived in San Diego. They hadn't met before they were on the film. And now, 25 years later, like bosom buddies, and uh, they explain what core background extras are for someone who might not know. Yes, thank you. So, um, you know, a lot of films have people, you know, in restaurants or on the street. You have to have you have to people your world with people you paid. You can't just take literally people off the street. But when you do a big movie like Titanic, you need those people to be there a lot. You need them to recur, and especially with something like Titanic. Um, they have to have or have or acquire certain skills like <laughs> floating in the tank or being strapped to the poop deck when it was a, you know, <laughs> at um, a, a 90 degree angle. Um, so so they showed up, I think, just expecting a couple of days work or maybe a couple of weeks at the moment, most. But we'll ask them when they come on as guests. I think they were there for the full eight months and they became... Simon Crane, the stunt coordinator, they became his favorite people. And James Cameron, you know, they just, they saw everything. They saw everything, mostly as third class passengers. And Ellen uh, distinguished herself by being that very tragic um, shot of the lady holding the dead baby in the water at the end. So that's her claim to fame. And then Judy is in every single other scene. And like, if again, if you know where to look, and we found her in the documentary, we found her and highlighted her and go, look, 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 which is a little bit like my part as well, but that's half the fun of it too. Well, yes, and that, I mean, in anything, uh, seeing seeing the little bits and bobs, which which is what makes the documentary so brilliant, is that you that the Titaniacs, especially those coming back for a 25th anniversary screening of Cameron's film, you, you do know what to look for. And uh, I recently saw 
your deleted scene, uh, the scene where the ship has struck the iceberg and people are milling about the hallways. And there was a scene that was not in the final cut with you and presumably your husband, another gentleman coming out of your stateroom, whether or not that was your husband could be a whole other movie. Uh, but uh, with the steward telling you everything is gonna be fine. But the gentleman in the next cabin that was milling around was, I recognized him immediately in that deleted scene, the gentleman with the beard and mustache, yes. because he's all everywhere. over the film. He's, he's everywhere in that movie. Talk about a core extra. Yes. And I loved, I just have to say, because I love the steward spoke French to him. And I'm like, French? We never knew that, that this core extra that you see was a French character. So oh, I- yes, he, Or he just decided that he wanted to show off his French. And, and I recognized the steward from the scene where you board the ship. When you're walking onto the ship with your dogs, that's the same steward smiling at you as you're boarding the ship that later- very told well, you to his, relax. And his, name, his character name was Stuart Barnes, and I, I, I gave him his name when I when that deleted scene. And he's like, "Thank you for naming me. Thank you for giving me that." But of course, gone, 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 gone. They could probably make uh, with all the unused footage. Uh, there probably is uh, James. I, I don't even want to say it because he's probably going to release it for the fiftieth anniversary. Well, it will be the I, ten and a half hour version of James Cameron's Titanic. And the, I, and the, and the Titaniacs would watch it. I, I would I'd watch, watch it, it because I'd see all my friends doing all our little bits that that never quite made it. But and there was a lot of downtime as well. So there was there was a lot of filming, but there was a lot of not filming. So so that's again how we all bonded as friends. I, I need to go through. I need to name everybody still before we finish. Um, Linda Kearns played um, the third class woman. So I'd be like Linda, Ker Linda, third class woman. She go Alexandra, first class woman. So that's how how we um, we met. And she's a a big musical theatre actress and star. And um, she got she was married off to um, the Irishman who plays the Ilian Pipes in Gaelic Storm. So once they sort of put those two together, they're seen all over the place in in different moments. Again, in that deleted scene where she gives Kate the blanket and then as it's a deleted scene, you see Kate with a blanket. They're, that's the other game uh, the, the fans love to play is like, oh, why? Why does Spice of Lovejoy have a uh, uh, you know, blood on his temple. Yeah. And I found that deleted scene where he chases them through the first class dining room and there's a bit of a scuffle with, with Jack and so forth. So, you know, the bits of the jigsaw puzzle that you can put together. So there's so there's Linda, third class woman, and she's um, she's also another dead frozen body. So she went through all the makeup for that. Um, and there's Chris Anderson, who was a dancer and they were all hired just to teach the core extras to the, the dances in the third class party scene. And he ended up being, uh, he ended up standing in for Leo for a day and he tells a wonderful story about that. Um, who else do we have? We've got Amy Guyper, who was Trudy Bolt and hers is a lovely character. And, and the way she came by her, the role is, is just a great story. She was living, she was going to drama, she was at drama school in New York at the time. And, and here she was on this huge movie, thinking it couldn't have been very important at the time, but then she got the shock of her life when she walked onto the set. And then, and then famously within our group, Peter White, who played third officer Groves of the Californian, which was 
parked 10 miles away and could have probably saved everybody in the water, but they switched their wireless off and went to bed. And um, his scene was completely deleted. So, so his, he's actually our, he's, he's our little ace in the hole because very few people even know that Peter was in it, but we have him in the documentary to tell his story, which is great. He's marvelous. Hearing all the stories are marvelous. Hearing uh, from the Titaniacs is so much fun. Uh, and I especially liked listening to the casting director uh, stories. Uh, tell me about her. Um, Emily Schweber was an associate to Mally Finn. So she was tasked with finding not just the, the main characters, but these tens and tens of supporting roles that were stewards or first class passengers or third class passengers or Danish or Dutch or German or Italian or she, they had to find you know the the multiverse of people that would have been in and on Titanic and she she said it was quite it, it was like no other no other job they'd ever done. And the and the Bible that came along with it was this thick full of images and research that James Cameron had done. And I understand that because I that's actually part of the fun of putting a film together is is oh, I want it to look like this. Oh, that's a good idea. Let's put that in the Bible. Let's let's make all of these ideas, you know, shake down into what the film is going to be. And for them, it was an incredible tool. I don't want to give too much away from the documentary, oh, no, 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 no. But, the, but the audition process, you, you were tasked with writing a monologue from the point of view of a, of a passenger. So uh, I, I was fascinated by, by the stories of, of how she worked with actors and had such respect for actors. Yes, and, and I think this film, I, I hope this film turns out to be something of an education for young actors coming into the profession. Like this is what you can expect. There's just a very tiny percentage of actors that are lucky enough to be movie stars. And the rest of us are supporting characters, jobbing actors. And this is probably what your life is going to be. And, and it's not a bad life. It's hard, it's challenging. It has its ups and downs. But I think our range of actors really really shows what being an actor, a, a, a successful actor can be because success is measured in different ways, right? And um, yes, I, it's, it, there's a sort of, there's a sort of educational element to that, I think that again, giving voice to people who usually don't get to talk about their experience. Well, aside from uh, us chatting about all things Titanic related as, as we expand uh, these podcast experiences and talking to other uh, Titanic enthusiasts along the way, I, I think one of the fun fantasies is to imagine, gosh, if I were in that movie, who would I want to play? Or if, or if they were remaking it today, I'd love to see you play Rose's mother. Like, I would love to see you really tightening that it on her. You Francis. Sorry, <laughs> nothing personal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so, like, and I, I, there's a, there's not a character in the film, Milton Long, but I have my own connection to a real life Titanic passenger named Milton Long. But I, in encouraging participation with our audience here, uh, if there's the comment section here on the page, who would you want to play? That's what I'm asking you the, in the audience. 
who would you want to play in Titanic, whether it's an existing character in the James Cameron film, or maybe it's just some other character from history, uh, like like I have with Milton. But um, that would that would be fun. So like I encourage people to to uh, participate in the comments section and let us know what topics about Titanic you want to talk about in future uh, in future podcasts. And I came across it, Titanic is in the news all the time, whether or not it's in the theaters. Titanic is always newsworthy and. And I just came across an article, which I sent to you, Alexandra, uh, not too long ago, about uh, Isidore and Ida Strauss, who are very famous in Titanic legend because they were the older couple who were offered places in the boat, primarily because, well, she was a woman and he was a first class older gentleman. So they, they were to go and course the the gentleman being a gentleman did not want to take a place before uh, before the ladies and the wife refused to go without him she she'd been with him all those years so of course in the Cameron film we see them in bed together as the water is rushing in uh, and this interesting article uh, the the real story was that they were last seen holding hands on deck together before a wave washed over them his body was recovered hers was never recovered uh, and didn't she give her didn't she give her place to her maid and gave the maid her, that's her, right they're the maid coach this will be you'll you'll need it more than me i mean there there's so there are 1500 of those sad stories about those who perished on the titanic but i live on the upper west side of manhattan and the strausses lived around 105th street and broadway on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And when they died, their children waited all of, I think, 10 days okay. before they sold the family house. But there is, when you're visiting Manhattan, uh, take some time if you're a Titanic enthusiast and go up to 105th Street and Broadway. And there you will find a small triangular park uh, in the middle of the intersection called Strauss Park. And it's a monument to the memory of the Strausses and those who died aboard the Titanic. And there's a beautiful statue looking into a, a sort of reflection pond. Uh, and the model for that statue has a whole interesting history itself. But but Google uh, Strauss Park if you're coming to New York and put it on your list of, of things to see. Uh, really a must-see for any Titanic enthusiast, I think. Fantastic. And yes, and I look forward to hearing from all of those characters because that means I get to research them all and we get to talk about them. An endless series. Uh, hopefully we can just keep this going uh, and we want to hear from you what you want to what you want to talk about, who you want to hear from. Uh, I've had my own experiences with Dr. Robert Ballard. It would be great to catch up with him, the man who who found the Titanic. He has not been in the news I don't. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, I hope. He, I hope he's well. And I hope. Uh, I hope maybe we can. We can score some uh, interesting conversations with folks from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute and keep the Titanic train going. Full steam ahead. And if we're not going to go on a cruise together, let's go to uh, Cove, Ireland, which was formerly known as Queensland, the last stop uh, Titanic made before she went. Out to sea, so it was the, the, the last with Lynn. The Titanic Trail is an amazing place to visit if you get to Ireland too, and and of course Belfast is uh, Titanic Central now with their Titanic experience and, and oh student. man, yeah, they may they make movies there. It's all we need a road trip. Just pack a life vest. <laughs> For more information on where you can see Ship of Dreams Titanic movie diaries, go to Ship of Dreams Film dot com